The subject for this evening's talk is the nature of walking. If I may, I would like to recount a, a personal story from just a few weeks uh, ago. Quite a number of people in this room are, of course, and would describe themselves as being on the road with a variety of uh, intentions and purposes. And to uh, some degree, I would be included in that. And I would just like to relate to you a situation which occurred uh, about a month ago, sometime in the middle, I think it was of December or so. And I will just give a little bit of background to this first. In the past few months, in terms of Dharma service, I have been traveling quite extensively. And as a small example, in uh, August, I was giving uh, retreats with Shada on the east coast of the States. Then I went to the uh, West Coast, then returned to uh, England, to Totnes, to Gaia House. And then from there, I may say, to Aust uh, Australia, uh, through the States, and then back from Australia to London. And then back to Gaia House, to Totnes. Where? Oh God, where was? And then, and then to Rome, and then to Stockholm, and then to Geneva, like this. So, I was standing on one of those, what do they call those, moving, okay. eh? Walkway, that uh, you have at the airports. And uh, people movers, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good enough word, people movers. I, I was, I was sta standing uh, on uh, one, one of these, and I was rather tired, and the thought arose in my mind, where am I? And I couldn't remember <laughs> what city I was in, what country I was in. I couldn't remember if I was coming back to London from somewhere, or going somewhere. But where am I? And then, oh, right, it's Geneva, that's where I am. And, uh, and then things began to fall into place a little bit. So sometimes we see in our uh, activities that, that there is a momentary, short-lived disconnection from the framework which we have adopted. There is a disconnection, a space out, we might describe it as, from ourself in the relationship to the immediate environment in which we live. And we can and we might say of our life at times that we seem to connect in with the immediacy of the here and now situation. And at times there is a disconnection with what is occurring and a certain kind of um, unavailability in that uh, disconnection. And so the very state of consciousness is not something which has a consistent presence to it, 
but one which we are present <coughs> for at time and then away from and then back in connection with. And this movement, apparent for a moment, this movement which occurs in our life becomes a feature of our life. That no uh, human being can uh, claim with any honesty to be consistently in the present or consistently connected uh, with the moment in terms of experience because of the very fluctuations, we might say, of consciousness occurring, in and out, back and forward, it appears. And then we say, I want to take interest in my life, and a significant feature of my life is one which is engaged in apparent movement. And I take a great interest, and it generates a great deal of thought within me about being in one spot, whatever that spot may be, and then going, we would say, from point A to B, and there is a certain transition which takes place in which one says with some degree of confidence, I started off here and now I am going to there. And in that very activity, that movement which takes place, there's a movement of the consciousness towards its destination, either in some time or place. And just to remember here, please to note here, that the potency of one's experience and the frequency of habit which takes place within a human being is that that movement constantly seems to reassure us that we are going somewhere. The movement of the habit, the movement of the conditioning, the movement of the body in conjunction with the habit and conditioning, the interpretation of experiences, I'm talking about ordinary traveling, walking now, seems to give us an assurance and a conviction that we have started off from somewhere and we're going to arrive somewhere. And where we started off from and where we are arriving to really is different from each other. That point A and point, e are, point B are markedly different. And this conception, this belief, this impression which we have that by going from here to there is substantially different, is significantly different, is often, for many people, including many in this room, the compelling factor to move. Move based on the perceptions that they're significantly different from point A to point B. And this belief, this interpretation of life a human being, she, he, we, could carry this right through the whole of our life and it goes tragically unquestioned. The idea of differences from point A to point B and that those differences are meaningful, those differences are substantial, those differences are uh, absolute black and white. When I was a, a, a monk, 
the tradition, incidentally, let me talk of a couple of minutes about the tradition for a moment. <coughs> One of the uh, delightful things about the, the Buddhist tradition is that there has been uh, the wish to honor the ordinary and the everyday of life as much as possible. Sometimes the religion itself, I think, has overshadowed that and the, and the mystical of life has been transferred into uh, rituals and ceremonies and uh, esoteric practices. And I think it's rather a tragedy when that gets exaggerated, though there is a place for that in life, because if there is an exaggeration of that, it tends to reduce the potential of a human being to, dis to really tr discover and realize the mystical, which is emptiness, in the ordinary and the everyday. And our ordinary and everyday at the physical level is sitting, walking, standing and reclining or going between one of those four postures that is physical life. So, but the tradition uh, which has said the sublime is found in the most ordinary experiences of the day hasn't got lost and it's sustained itself through uh, thousands of years. And I, if I may recall here, that when I was a monk, every uh, day in the afternoon period, there was one hour uh, of um, standing meditation, one hour of walking meditation, and one and a half hours of so uh, sitting meditation, one and a half hours of walking meditation. With the walking meditation period, the monks and the novices were asked and walked in a rather a large a circle. There were about 100 of us, and in that a rather s uh, slow, uh, mindful, contemplative way that a number of you here are actually engaged in. So each afternoon there would be this period of time for the walking meditation. And of course, if one is walking in a circle, there are... Um, two fairly obvious facts about walking in a circle. One of them, and the important one is, that one isn't going anywhere. And this in spiritual life has very, what sounds superficial and shallow, actually has very profound, deep significance. But it's often dismissed in a superficial way. And the second, which is in the field of human relationships, is that the person who walks the slowest is at the front of the line. You can imagine that sometimes when one of the monks or the novices decided and to walk so slowly there would have to be about five minutes bef between the time of one foot coming up to touch the ground there. The pressure behind was quite phenomenal. <laughs> and it, it wasn't unusual for one of us to slowly, mindfully walk up to the front of the queue where the particular monk was walking you know, so slowly and we all bunched up behind this particular <laughs> monk <laughs> to kindly edge him off the path. 
with loving kindness, of course. <laughs> and somehow, in all of this, the basic message that being communicated to us is a reminder to us to inquire and to in question into the whole concept of going somewhere and time to do it in. And the self, the I, the, the e ego, even though we should have known better, so to speak, that we were walking in a circle, there was just nowhere to go there, that that sense of that, that a deep appreciation of that got forgotten and all that got remembered is that there is somebody in the front and he is stopping me from going where I want to go. <laughs> so this, this walking period and the walk, walking meditation contributes, if it is to be used for us to question this whole idea of movement, of moving, of going somewhere, and the mover, the doer, the walker in that process. I have a poem and may share, shed maybe a little light on this. <coughs> Based on walking meditation, but using an, uh, a metaphor. It's called A Line on Water. Tracks unnoticeably across this life where melted footprints say nothing and the path is occasional lingering notions no way exists to peer forward beyond this dissolving tow line nor method to go back over what was nor did walking ever make a path. No point can be found of where we are, nor remotest hint of what might be. Again and again these footprints remain hidden. Moving and standing is not revealed like the substance of a rainbow. For this path never took hold never made sense, never revealed a sign of going anywhere, hardly a dash of light from beginning to end. This life, no more than a line on water. So sometimes we look at this walking and the thought comes in and the thought says, I am starting here at this particular junction and point in time. And I'm going to arrive there. And sometimes in the very activity of just walking, we do, as the Buddha commented a number of times, he says, we make the elephant turn with our head. And one is just walking and just mindfully and consciously turns the head towards the right or towards the left and looks. And one asks oneself, Really, am I really going anywhere? What does that mean to have that feeling and notion that I'm moving somewhere in time? 
And then we ask, we look at this, and then we say that in that process of walking, there is a human being taking the step-by-step activity, and then there's some internal event which seems to go on in this activity of walking. And the walking can, as it were, go along by itself. We can be walking outwardly 10, 15, 20 minutes and inwardly and look incredibly mindful, impressing others who are around us quite considerably. (laughs) And inside we haven't a clue where we are. We might as well be on that moving people machine because inside it's not connected with the spirit of the walking. And sometimes it has taken an environmental event to impact loud enough or distinctly enough on consciousness to alert us to life in the present. So we ask ourselves, in this walking experience which is taking place, what has one, what have you as a human being noticed in your inner field of the walking. And sometimes in that very process, one begins to notice things about oneself which one needs to take notice of if we are to live with any wisdom in this world. And for some of you, you will go out there, you will engage in the walking for a period of time and one would be in that classification of great beginners. Great beginners. First 10 minutes, 15 minutes if you're lucky. The connection with the movement is taking place. Then some streams of thoughts begin to arise, and then it seems like there is something else that could be done. Tidying up the sleeping bag. getting out the toothpaste for the umpteenth time. And the whole body then seems to move away from the original purpose and direction and for some great beginners, no middle, no end, no no following something through. And it's not an unusual phenomenon for people who speak of being extremely busy and under pressure in their life to have a a characteristic feature, habitual feature, which could generate much suffering, of starting numerous things but not being able to follow through. So sometimes we ask ourselves in the sitting or the walking period, in my relationship to these activities, can I follow something right through and and see what it means to feel the beginning and the ending? Can I be a conscious being in the ending? Because one day, the end will be the last out-breath for one and all. Sometimes, the walking itself is in relationship to the some of the Somebody commented once, the peak experiences of the day at 
clicked. Uh, and that period of time of engaging in the walking time at that time, getting the plate, getting the bowl, getting the spoon, and that whole process. One is engaged in that movement. There are some of amongst you, some of you who serve the food, and therefore there's an act of kindness and service taking place. There is walking with people who are to receive the food. There is an interrelationship which is established in that activity. That interrelationship has the possibility and the potential, as it frequently does, human beings being respectful, rather reverential, and caring towards each other. It's a tiny event in that process of walking, but that tiny event makes the difference to life on Earth. To, to feel what that actually means. But then sometimes that appreciation in that process is overshadowed by the ego. It's overshadowed by the personal likes and dislikes. And the natural spontaneity of reverence for life, which is an expression of a deep and a conscious life, which therefore natural in that respect, is forgotten because of the likes and the dislikes have set in. And one is standing there, possibly serving the food, and someone comes along who one's got some, I don't think much you'd use the word beef here, but uh, some kind of um, negativity, some harsh judgment to, to, towards, and as he or she puts out the plate, one rather begrudgingly lifts up the rice. Why, why should I give him anything? He's so <laughs> <laughs> So there's a process which is taking place, and the I and the my, the self, the ego, the likes and the dislikes, begin to impose itself on existence. And in that imposition on existence, we lose something deeper, something about interconnectedness and that interconnectedness which is the, the very manifestation of an illuminated heart and mind. And then sometimes it, it, it's the opposite kind of feeling rather than one of the experience of dislike and, and therefore the begrudging, the hostility, the holding back, the, uh, the, the revenge in what one wants to give or whatever. All of that is when one feels one has been affected or hurt by somebody and then one actually repeats history. One repeats the history. He, she, they did this to me, therefore why shouldn't I? They don't like me, therefore why should I like them? They judge me, therefore why shouldn't I judge them? And that complexity of a mess that human beings that we find ourselves in because we can't see deeper than the state of our own mind. Walking meditation is to break this once and for all. Sometimes in the walking for the food there, the feeling level is of a different experience and that experience which is taking place in that situation is one of like and sometimes the forces of attraction on uh, retreat situations are uh, unusually potent in the silence that one finds oneself 
sometimes uh, amazed at the potency of uh, interest in somebody else in the romantic, attractive feeling towards somebody. And sometimes, again, with the servers, they're standing there, hoping, doing their mantras, that the person that they are really got their eye upon is going to choose their food line to, <laughs> to walk by and not go down to the other one at the other end. And when that person gets nearer and nearer, you can always tell because the person holding the rice or the, or the sabji in those large spoons is just shaking like a leaf. The rice won't even stay in the, in the, in the spoon. It's <laughs> we talk about equanimity. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the same, the person who is walking has also got some excited feelings about somebody who is serving the food and they've got their plate there and the spoon on the on the plate and the cup on the plate and the whole thing's rattling away. <laughs> <laughs> and the two people imagine it's, it's towards each other but for one it's for another person. <laughs> These are all the everyday soap operas on retreats. <laughs> so again, the potency of lights, the potency of attraction, the potency of aversion, which can come in easily distorts the relationship to life. Can we probe even deeper than that kind of movement and see more deeply into things in a way which sparks something else? To be the spark for something else. So as I mentioned in the poem, tracks tread unnoticeably across this life where melted put footprints say nothing and the path is occasional lingering notion. No way exists to peer forward be beyond this dissolving tow line. And so sometimes we're engaged in the walking and the very movement of walking in life, the very manifestation of that walking is such that the movement sometimes sparks future thinking the very habit of saying I am walking even though it is just up and down and utterly not special and profoundly not going anywhere to letting that run so deep through one's veins and yet it seems to spark easily the future thought and the movement of the mind of the future thought comes in again and again and again planning organizing fearing speculating anticipating wondering or whatever and one says to oneself, what is it that the future is going to give me that the present cannot? What is it that somehow I have generated in my life such a distinction that when I walk, I imagine that what, what I believe I will arrive at will actually provide me with something which is not available here and now. And I need some belief inside of me that that movement towards a place, towards a person, towards a practice, towards a teacher, towards a retreat, whatever it might be, that somehow that, that idea of going towards something, it will provide me with something which I can't provided with now. Where is this delusion coming from? 
And sometimes there is an agitation in that future, in that idea of the future. And that agitation is such that there is some compelling need to, to want to know what the future will be like. And it's impounded upon by those likes and those dislikes, by the forces inside of a human being of attraction and aversion to wanting to know what it will be like how it will be and we try to know what will come no way the poem says no way exists to peer forward beyond this dissolving tow line and then we ask ourselves in, our very, in the midst of our very walking process we ask ourselves is it that all my projecting and my future and my thinking it will be better when I get there is that in fact a refusal to live with the unknown and that really is the truth of the matter I can't tolerate touching the unknown I can't tolerate the thought that the future never ever comes and it's never come for anybody that it's the future is, is the only is the idea which has taken thought in consciousness and then and one senses and feels that and knows that and one asks oneself again and again is it that all my future rising is because I can't face the unknown I can't live with the unknown and I want to know how it will be and I can't know and when I realize I can't know then I will stop all this speculating and projecting and, and fantasizing about tomorrow, next week, next month because I'm learning to live with the unknown and in my learning to live with the unknown I am respectful and then the poem says nor method to go back over what was nor did walking ever make a path and sometimes and as was mentioned a couple of nights ago in the talk we have had experiences in the past spiritual experiences religious experiences as well as the other ranges uh, available to human beings and then we say to ourselves you know I had this incredible experience I was in this place with this person or in this situation or in the, in the nature and what I've got left of that experience is some memory, some impression. And the, pre and the impression is there. And one says to oneself, I wish, I wish I could go back to what that was like. I wish I could have that all over again. It, it was one of the most important periods or important moments of my life. And one says, there is no method on this earth which enables a human being to go back over what was. And it says, nor did walking ever make a path. <coughs> if I can't take a hold of what was and pinpoint it and say this and go back over it or whatever, I can't do that no matter how many times I walk up and down I can't go back over what was and if I can't go into the future and peer forward and get into the future because the future never comes 
Where does it leave me now? What does it say of all these thoughts? All these wild dreams of knowing the past and going back over the past and reliving the past and having the past again and, and the future and so what does it say of that? Let me say, my goodness. If I can't really know what the past was because I can't re retrace my steps and I can't know what the future was then somewhere in this so-called time of past, present and future somewhere there's an extraordinary degree of unknown element in all of this so sometimes we're, we're in connect what we say we're in connection with the present we're experiencing the here and now situation and in our experience of it too <coughs> we say, well what is this here and now which is touching me? What is, what is this feeling, this sensation which tells me I'm right in the present just listening, just sitting on the earth <coughs> just experiencing these sensations? Can I really say because I'm experiencing some colour to my eyes as I sit here can I really say that as I listen to the sound of one man's uh, voice uh, speaking words, or as I sit here and I experience these sensations that are going on, can I really say I really know what it's all about? That it's really clear to me, it's obvious, it's self-defined, it's... it's uh, uh, a way which I can have constructed and it's perfectly obvious what this called here and now is. And we begin to feel deep inside the human being, very, very, very deep, like a kind of truth of something unknown, something mysterious, mystical, empty, whatever we might say. In a way which seems to be, as it were, a greater presence and have a greater significance than all my ideas of what the past was, all my ideas of what the future will be, and even all of my ideas of what the present is, that the potency of the unknown seems to be displacing all that I know. Would I be willing to live in that? Read another poem, please. It's called The Universe Inches Out. Nothing is known of this source from which this universe inches out a ceaseless expunging of varied gestures that proclaim a profound intrigue and realize in the peace of an unmarked land an ungrafted revelation which bears no cast to haunt this unmolded apprehension this sudden glimpse of invoked beatitude 
like the lost chord of a sweet anthem, this unhindered stillness that pervades. Where expansion dominates passages of time and self is fleeced of roles and niches. This realm is host to the frontier that heralds a breathless becoming, unbecoming, where reasons vanish upon bookshelves and applied meaning is finally conquered. Effortlessness generates this tangible air dissolving the face of many lifetimes, leaving an uncrowned king of splendor. So the thrust and the theme of this poem, that this profound unknown, this emptiness, is such that, as it were, the universe inches out from it. And the old, our whole idea of you or I going from A to B, making a journey, making a pathway, travelling from one point to another, doesn't really communicate the deep truth. The universe of humanity, the universe of life is just inching out. And it's quite effortless in its nature. So as I say, what is uncrowned, what is unbecoming, all of this is its revelation. Sometime when you are still and you are walking and in that stillness and walking which is taking place, you know you are not going anywhere. And no matter how many steps you take, how many steps I walk, one knows one isn't going anywhere and there's nothing sad about it, there's nothing unhappy about it, there's nothing confusing about it, because one is touching something unknown which makes all this possible. Sometimes people come and say to me on... Uh, Quite, uh, quite regularly, and I can understand it. People would say to me, oh, Christopher, I've done whatever X number of retreats with you over the years, but I don't need to sit and walk anymore. I'm tired of sitting and walking. <laughs> They're usually either sitting or walking when they tell me this. And sometimes there is a understandable, an ordinary mind of likes and dislikes, attraction and aversion. Sometimes there is a kind of reaction to that. What is that reaction? It's the reaction when we have made something of something. When we put something down we have made something of it, we have to dismiss it, which means it's still carrying weight in our life. When we boost something up and we make something of it, it's carrying another kind of weight in our life. So I say, and as some have realized on these retreats, 
who have no reason to be on retreats come and participate in these retreats because they sit and they walk because they have no reason to sit and walk. That is why we sit and walk. Those who boost it up and think they're going to get somewhere making something, building up those who reject and say are sitting and walking, sitting also still have got investment making something of it. We sit and walk because we have no reason to to sit and walk. Because we're not going anywhere. Let's see the truth of all this. Let's see it for ourselves. And this realization of not going anywhere, no destination, is very joyful. But no matter how many steps you, we walk on the earth, not leading us anywhere. It is very joyful. One can even become a monk or a nun and walk in circles and have somebody walk terribly slowly at the front. <laughs> then we pay, I would say, great respect to life, sitting and walking. Because what else is there to do? May all beings see into the nature of walking. May all beings see into the nature of sitting. May all beings be graced with the unknown. Let's have a quiet period, shall we please? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.